the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, comprehensive coverage, and powerful stories than The Athletic. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, and get a personalized feed of exclusive ad-free content. Visit theathletic.com this week specifically for the Black Friday special. $1 a month for the entire year, for 12 months. $1 a month. Can't beat it. Do it now. Visit theathletic.com. We are also supported by Balanced Bridge Funding, providing capital solutions to professional athletes for the last seven years. Whether you're under a contract and need a bridge against guaranteed earnings, a free agent looking for that next contract, or looking to borrow money for any other reason, let Balanced Bridge be your resource today. Visit balancedbridge.com. My name is Mike Gennetti. It's a two-guest show. Less me, more other smart people. Cousin Dan on the baseball signings of late, including Wander Franco's big extension in Tampa Bay, what that means for the pre-arbitration system, how that deal looks, was he a fool for, for signing so early at what could have been maybe double the price tag. We break down that. And then Cousin Dan and I also break down the Taysom Hill question mark extension. And I don't think we have answers, but we certainly talk it out. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And then the back end of the show, I've been such a fan and we go back and forth on Twitter quite a bit because with, with questions and answers, uh, she's so invested and big and great in the New York mar- New York sports market, Kim Jones. She's at Kim Jones Sports on Twitter. You see her on the NFL Network. You used to see her on Yankees broadcast. She's just indebted to New York sports. And that's what we talk about today. The Giants, the Jets, a little bit of the Yankees as well. It's tough times in New York sports, let's put it that way, except for Buffalo Bills fans, although not so much right now there either. But uh, Kim Jones in New York sports on the back end of this show. All right, Dan, I know I'm kind of uh, breaking a cardinal sin here by talking something besides football (laughs) the day before Thanksgiving. I I realize it's a huge football week and I certainly have some medical conversation at the back end of this show, but I wanted to bring you on because we're seeing something that's positive. We're seeing Major League Baseball teams locking in players, whether their own or free agents, you know, before Thanksgiving, before the CBA stuff kind of comes into the forefront and whatever potential lockout is going to be, you know, in front of us, just your general thoughts on that. Do you think this is a good sign for baseball or is it more of a reaction to, we don't know what the hell's about to happen and we just want to get some guys locked in now? It's a great question. There's, there's super valid points on both sides of the argument, in my opinion. Um, uh, You know, on one hand on one spectrum you have a young player getting locked up um you know a a significant financial commitment is being uh, made to a young player who has less than a year service time in in the majors by a team that is typically financially um you know cash strapped or or tight cheap runs a tight (laughs) ship yeah however you want to label it um so on that end, I think um, I, th- I think it's mostly positive. Now, from the players' association perspective, I-, I could see there being a little bit of hesitancy in terms of money he potentially left on the table. But um, I- I'm certainly not here to shoot down, um, you know, the the positive aspects of a young player um, getting a major financial commitment. Um, and-, and 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 just to kind of bring this full circle in terms of ongoing conversations we have, it this is something we've been, we've been asking for, like, you know, there's, there's risk on both sides, but both like the way this lays out, there is, there's, you know, um, some production to be, to be gotten from both sides, you know, some, 
positive EV, if you will. So the only thing, thing specific that I can kind of connect the dots with here, Dan, and it's obviously I'm being objective, but we've talked a lot and we've heard a lot about the potential of a salary floor coming in, some sort of tax floor spending minimum that you're going to have to spend. To me, if I'm one of the middle tiers, the mid markets or the major markets, that's going to prompt me to, to make some of these signings right now. So for instance, St. Louis getting Steven Matz seems somewhat insignificant because he's going to be a middle of the rotation guy for that team. But there were eight teams in on Steven Matz. I don't think in a normal offseason, there's six teams in on Steven Matz. Do you understand what I'm saying? So where the floor comes into play is, let's say by February 1st or March 1st, there's some sort of minimum. And maybe it's not going to kick in this year, and that's going to be a moot point. But let's just say it does. Now you've got 30 teams who have to spend money. Right now, you've got the Marlins and the Rays and the Orioles and the and the Pirates that have to go and either keep some of their own guys with with extensions and, and increase their payment, or bring in some free agents on maybe a, above market prices. So, I think you want to get to this point now and, and try to get some kind of fair value before all thirty teams are forced to spend some money, and that's when things might balloon a little bit in terms of free agent costs. So. I love that we have this to talk about right now, but I do think it's a bit reactionary to what could happen in the CBA. Um, all right, let's get to Franco. You mentioned Ronald Franco's contract in Tampa Bay specifically. I think our initial reaction, we kind of had an offline discussion was, this is great. It's great because it is Tampa Bay. It's great because this player has decided I can be satisfied with this price tag, even though I, I imagine the social media reaction is this guy's worth three times more. What where what is where are you on that spectrum? If he's worth three times more, is this foolish? I mean, just let me just put this at you: he gets a, a guaranteed one eighty two over twelve years at age twenty. Tatis Junior was twenty two and locked in three forty guaranteed. So to me, that's the initial the the initial asking price here. Just your initial thoughts on that. The way you lay that out, um, yeah, probably. I did that purposely. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Tatis thing was was sort of an outlier. I think I, I I'm not sure we'll ever see a a contract structured the way that one was done. So I, it's still super valuable to bring it into the conversation. The Franco. So is contract, that a Mahomes type contract for you? Um. Yeah. I mean, I think. I think because you're right, Dan, it's it's markedly above anything else we've ever seen at 22 or under. Right. And I think the years got the money higher, which the money blew the doors off people, you know, like you're dead. Right. I've got 10 guys in front of me and he signed through age 35, which is by far the longest out. And by the way, the maybe the worst for his career. Right. Right. Yeah. And and. You know, he came off of he was coming off of a career year. There was some, you know, recurring injury concerns. Sure. So there, there's there's points to be drilled through that. But he was he was he is or was at the time looked at as you know potentially one of the number one prospects in all of baseball and going forward, not just like a one year. Wow, this guy had a had a real good year. The tools are all there. He was in a team that was, you know, seemingly primed to to make another financial commitment. So that that contract, I think, at the end of the day, we're going to look at and see as a as an extreme outlier con, uh, contract. But I think this one mirrors that in a scaled down version. Um, so, so, does Franco terms, have that kind of potential? 
Yeah. So that that's is he, the is thing. he as marketable too, Dan? Two questions. It, yeah. So I guess I don't know the the specifics of that, but I, my initial leaning is yes. Uh, he he seems like he has a great personality. Um, you know, he he hearing like Eric Neander talk about him, he's he's like a quote unquote a slow heartbeat type of player. Like he's 20 years old and he had immediate success um, in the majors at, in the playoffs. I, I think he. I think he's the sort he, he has like a, maybe like a Francisco Lindor type makeup where like the off field intangibles, um, you know, people are people are talking about those sort of uh, elements of of this player. So I want to say he is marketable like that in Tampa Bay. Um, you know, he's. <clears throat> God, he's going to be a God there. Yeah, exactly. Right? I, I don't I don't need to. <laughs> to necessarily put it all into words, but he is highly marketable in the right, in the right market. And I think that is the perfect market for it. Um, in terms of him reaching, you know, is he going to outperform this contract like 10 years from that down the line? I would say the initial reaction to that is yes. Um, I mean, he's, if you want to throw the label of generational type prospect, he certainly seems like that. Now for a team like Tampa wanting to lock that up long-term, it makes sense for that. For that reason, if he is just was looking to get paid and doesn't want to think about contracts coming up every year, I think that works for him too. Now, you know, an international player coming over may not be looking to maximize his financial ceiling, I I guess is the best way to put it. And so is he probably leaving money on the table at some point in his career? Yes. Does that matter to a 20 year old player that just wanted to, you know, ensure his financial future? I, you know, I'm not going to be the one to say that that was a bad decision. All right. Before I respond, let's run through some of these numbers. Cause uh, like I said, I've got 10 guys in front of me that I wanted to reference to here with this early discussion. Wander Franco, the, the deal is basically this, and I have not seen the full breakdown, but we do have the, the overarching details here kind of locked in here. He was 20 years old. He's locked in through age 32 when you include the club option. It's a $182 million base guarantee. If the option is vested, which we just assume it will be, it's going to get to 223 if he hits his escalators. Where he started from, his initial bonus, Dan, was $3.8 million to come into Major League Baseball. That's a number I want you to remember because as I go through the rest of these guys, it's far and away the highest number, (laughs) right? I mean, when we talk about Acuna next here, this is the difference. Again, max 223 for Franco, who started on almost 4 million. Acuna Jr. started on $100,000 to come to Major League Baseball. He's locked in through age 30 and he can max out at 123. I can't even believe that this is what the Braves are going to have happen to them again. After the Freeman contract, after a few of these pitchers, the, the, the combination of Albies and Acuna Jr., Dan, both signed through age 30, both locked in at 21 and 22 respectively. First of all, they paid $450,000 just to get him in their system. That's it. Less than a minimum salary to get him in the door. And they're going to get both those guys combined at a max $165 million over the next eight seasons. It's absurd. I mean, absurd. If they aren't a dynasty, you know, if they don't pay for pitching every year and become a dynasty with these two guys, they've messed up. Uh, This is going to be one of the best value situations in all the sports. And by the way, it somewhat rivals what you had in Cleveland with Ramirez, with Lindor, with Kluber, 
yeah, you know, the- even going even going back to Jan Gomes was signed. Yeah. Okay. He was signed early. Jason Kipnis was locked in early. And those are the type of deals that these like, I don't, I don't know if I want to call Tampa a small, small market team, but we know they don't want to spend, you know, right. Uh, they don't want their payroll inflated every year. That's that is the way these teams build a financially sound team. In my opinion, they, they draft and develop their own talent. And they lock that talent up early rather than chasing it down in free agent or the trade market, which right. I think is, uh, you know, really, it's it's not for every team, but those teams have found success. But why isn't it? And, why isn't it for every team? I mean, the Braves aren't a small market. <laughs> no. So I think it's an organizational um, yeah. commitment. Do, do they just to, fall in love with the draft, Dan, and, and that becomes their single pipeline? Is that really what's happening with a lot of organizations? No, really, no, because some of these teams, like the, the the Rays, a lot of those guys are imported. They're not even their right. homegrown draft picks. Same thing with the Indians guys. A lot of, I mean, they do have a crop of pitcher. Uh, sorry, Guardians. They do have a crop <laughs> of pitchers that have entered through their, you know, through being drafted and through their minor league system. But we've seen it, like Mike Clevenger, guys like that, who the team is better at identifying that player that they think they can unlock you know, that next level from and going out and getting that player. So do they use, I mean, quite honestly, the, the Indians have, outside of a few drafts have kind of struck out, largely struck out in the, in the draft market. In my opinion, they've had more, way more success in the international free agent market and acquiring other players. And that, that's why you, the, this rep between the guardians and the, in the Rays, like if, if they make a trade and they come calling about one of your guys, then, you know, you should probably at least take a double back on that. It's like trading with Belichick, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at least ask yourself, why are they interested now? I mean, there's rule five implications and, you know, 40 man roster implications that make that all more complicated. But I mean, I think it's, I think it's smart when those two teams come calling on, you know, mid, mid or low level prospects that they, they probably think they can unlock one more step of potential there. So, I mean, to get back to the, the main conversation, I, more teams could and or should be doing this. But yeah. as we know, with like the NFL and the NBA, there, there will always be smart teams. There will always be teams that are a half step behind. So I, I want to give those organizations credit that they see this is the way that build, that they're good at building. It works for them and they're going to execute this plan. Now, five years down the line, maybe this Franco deal looks terrible for them. For some reason, he hits injury concerns, whatever. But in the moment, this is probably the best way for them ah. to try and put together a dynasty. That's my opinion on it. Yep. At 16 and a half a year, I don't know if we'll ever get to bad value. I just don't. I, I mean, it. it's... Look, the, the fact that it got signed through age 32, to me, is a miss for Franco. That's too old. Yeah, if you, you want to cut hole, this thing off at you 30. Do it is, exactly. You do it maybe, especially as a shortstop, maybe you do it at age 28, 29. We see all these guys entering the market right now, and we, we expect them to be paid handsomely for it. Maybe that is where like the decision went south. Maybe it got a little bit too far out there, but yeah, well, I do Let's agree put it with this way, because let's reference those shortstop, Dan. Uh, you know, Lindor just locked in for 341. He had already made a chunk of change. He's going to be close to $400 million. So he's up there. He's way up there. I think we expect Seager and and Correa to be 300 million plus in the next couple of months. You know, they're going to be nearing 400 million dollars on their total package. I don't know if Franco can get there. 
You know, if he maxes out 223 plus his initial bonus, that's 230. Is there another 150 million in, in this guy's resume? So, and I, and I realize we're nickel and diming 300 million versus 400 million dollars. So bear with us on this Thanksgiving week, but but just just to sort of pipe poke holes in in a player doing this right now because. You you mentioned the Rays, you mentioned Cleveland, you mentioned, you know, Houston has been in this conversation, and I have to get the Chicago White Sox here who have built this kind of brilliantly. The, those are the teams that have been really utilizing this international signing slash early extension process, but it only works if the players bite. And, you know, I don't think Toronto's players are biting. We know Juan Soto is not going to bite. So it, it's a two-way street. So it, tell me why... Wander Franco made the right decision here, Dan, if you can. I think the long and short, like the easiest answer to that is, is it's quick money. Like I, yeah. I know it's $183 million, which is like, like we, we can't even fathom that in the normal world here, but in, in we're trying to poke holes and if he could have maximized that more, which yes, maybe he could have made, we, we don't know the inner workings of why he wanted to sign now, um, I mean, we find sometimes we find that stuff out after that there were financial commitments or whatever that we that they mm-hmm. you know wanted to lock in a deal early. Now, to answer your question, is there 150 million more there? I I, I believe so, and I will tell you why. I, I did hear this isn't my idea, but I heard John Heyman discussing like as soon as this trade broke, he basically said he kept saying if. They have if he plays out this contract in Tampa, if he's still there at the end of this contract and he put it out there that there's there's almost no chance that he stays more than five or six years in Tampa, that 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 if that right now he probably signed at market value and going forward that just like a Jose Ramirez deal or Corey Kluber, one of those deals you referenced earlier those over time look better and better in terms of the market situation. So in four or five years from now, it's very, it's very likely that Tampa might think, you know, may, maybe we've seen him peak already. Maybe, you know, another team will be interested in this contract, this below market contract. Yeah. We can cycle it. We've seen it a million times with them. So I tend to agree there. Well, where he may go somewhere else and get extended at that point where I think is where the rest of the money comes from. But under the current terms, if he plays this contract out until he's 32, is there another 150 million there? I'd say it's close, but no. That so I, I think you could you could go those two directions. Okay, and, and and I'll put this up against that too because you're right, and I mentioned this with Bryce Harper's contract. You know, the fact that it was so long made me you know want to jump out of a window. But at the same breath, same conversation. In five years, we're about three years in already. Maybe in two, three more years, if Philly's going backwards, it's an extremely tradable contract extremely because of the low AAV because of where things are going to be in terms of his career. So you're right. It's a two piece conversation. It's halfway into the contract and then the back end of the contract. And will that team specifically have to handle it? No chance. Tampa Bay is taking 12 years out of this contract. It's just not what they do. And and I understand they did that with, with Evan Longoria, who was kind of the franchise reference here, but those days are gone. They're just gone with every franchise, let alone the the smaller markets. Um, And, to cycle back to Tatis, Dan, I, I think we're, I, I think many people believe I got killed on Twitter for saying this immediately, but I think many people believe he's that's a six year contract in San Diego. You know, their window is going to shut close and, and the Dodgers and Giants will be taking over that conversation again soon and, and he'll be on the market. 
So let's say Franco and Tatis are on the market at the same time, on the trade block at the same time. Which contract looks better? Which which is a better deal for you to acquire? It's not even close in that regard. So uh, Tampa Bay, to me, wins twice in this contract. A, they get this guy locked in at a good value for six years or so. And B, they probably get a huge pullback for the second half of this contract via trade. I, I think it's a huge win for Tampa. Exactly. So when Heyman kind of threw that out there and I started playing around in my head with it, I was like, that, that is probably dead on. And, and now, now if this was the Rockies making this or some other organization, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be as quick to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I have no doubt that that played into this where they, they made a financial commitment works for the player works for them and they'll reassess the situation. Maybe not year by year, but you know, in down the road at some point, this will this will be looked at and reassessed again. I can guarantee. Real quick, let's talk White Sox, and I realize that goes against everything that your Cleveland fandom you know wants to be doing right now. But Eloy Jimenez signed at twenty two, locked in through age twenty nine, can max out at seventy four million. That's pretty darn good for both sides there. Luis Robert, by the way, is it Luis Robert? I've heard it nine different ways. I'm, yeah, I guess I'm not. Let's just not say it's Luis Robert. I have heard it. Every He's way not French, so I don't think it's Robert. Yeah, sometimes I catch myself <laughs> flip-flopping. Anyway, probably. signed at 22, locked in through 29, can max out at 87 million. Basically the same contract as Jimenez with 10 million more added on. Tim Anderson, signed at 23, locked in through 31, can max out at 48. That's a Jose Ramirez contract right there, by the way. And then Mancada, signed at 24, locked in through 30, can max out at 92. So you're talking 350 total for four absolute core players. Now, Anderson's going to have to get redone here soon, a little bit, you know, in a couple of years here. And he deserves it, by the way. He's a legit superstar. But four guys, position players, albeit, at strong values, not exceptional values, strong values, but all get to do this again by, you know, around age 30. So, Team wins, player wins in all those cases, in my opinion. And uh, they're going to start to do this with pitchers, I would imagine. Don't you agree? I, I think the Dylan Cease, the Giolito, that's probably next for that resume. Uh, and then who knows? They're, they're going to have half a team built on pre-arbitration or early arbitration extensions, which could become the model for a lot of these mid-market teams if players are going to bite like this, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's... Because you're right, Dan. You're right. The one thing you said that I think is absolutely correct, unless you're a Boris client, is let's just get the money. It's stupid money. And yes, there's more stupid money out there, but let's just take our piece of the pie right now. And I think that's dead on, Dan. Right. And if you if you do set it up where you're still hitting free agency and not like a really bad age, um, you know, we've seen it a million times. Someone's going to give you money. Only takes one team. Yeah. So if you if you can grab 150 million right now, go back into free agency at 28, 29 years old. I I, like sure. Could you could you every player realistically has a ceiling in terms of financial ability? But does one percent actually achieve that, you know, that financial ceiling? I, I I'd be curious to know. But I mean, it's unquantifiable, but you know what I'm trying to get at. So real quick, back to Tampa Bay, we'll finish on this because I don't want, I don't want people to think that this is just a one, an anomaly situation for Tampa Bay. First of all, they've done this for a lot of years and Blake Snell's kind of the, the recent iteration of lock them in, use them up, trade them away and, and get back some decent assets for it. That's what this team wants to be doing. So to, 
to sort of correlate the story that you just broke down about the, what could happen to Wander Franco in six years. That's it right there. It, it's sort of on the Blake Snell path. But they also locked in Brandon Lodan, who, for all intents, could be in the conversation with all these guys that we're talking about. I mean, he's he's right there with Ozzy Albies, who's got a lot of all MV, MV, MLB honors right now. He's locked in, signed at age 24, locked in through 31. He's going to max out at $48 million, just a tick north of Ozzy Albies, basically one year more than Ozzy Albies. And he started at $700,000 to bring him into the system. I mean, this is... You put you put that as your middle infield, Brandon Lowe and Wander Franco on these contracts, and and Tampa Bay's really set up nicely here. So it's Tyler Glasnow next, right? If he's healthy, he's got two more years of arbitration this and next year. Is it too late to do that with him, Dan? No, not at all. I okay. actually think we talked about this not long ago um, before he got injured that he he could be a guy that the Rays look at after the year and say, can we you know can we sell him and. An upgrade because that would be the so. that would be the the big three, right? I think we're in kind of basketball terms. You need a big three, and in baseball, you need value in those big three. They've got two of those pieces, in my opinion. If they can get him to lock in at you know slightly above fair value, this team's dangerous, especially in that loaded division. This is a dangerous team. So you think it's going to happen? I with Glass now. Yeah. I I don't know if I'm going to say it's like I I wouldn't put a timeline on it, but I I do think like if he comes back and performs well that they they're they're looking to move on i mean they their triple a pitching staff is like an all-star team so they're and that that's another oh, that's good i mean to not, to, not to keep not to keep drilling on all of these points but like when you're a team that drafts and develops very good and you don't have to rely on you know the the, the free agent market or or you know the the trade market whatever you if you lock in a couple of these pieces, you can start to pretty easily, you know, supplement around those guys. You're not constantly chasing a different position. So yeah, I have faith that um, they're, they're going to keep doing what they're doing and these players will eventually become expendable to them. It's fascinating stuff. It's always interesting when, you know, brains meets dollars, which is what Tampa Bay has sort of been battling back and forth. And, and all these teams, you know, Chicago, the Cleveland, and Houston's sort of iteration to get themselves up to a World Series team. And honestly, the Braves as well, now that we break it down. But the the leverage part of it's really interesting because you're right. There's going to be a million people screaming that this guy should have, should have held out for 300 million plus. And I just agree with you. There's comfort in this contract. There's, by the way, he hasn't even basically stepped on the field yet. <laughs> you know, so uh, exactly, exactly. That's you know, the you crazy, can take the pressure off a little bit because I think you you feel like that you're you're in a comfortable financial situation, but you're not in a massively high pressure situation. Yes, it's double the price that Tampa's ever paid for a contract ever in terms of a guarantee. So there's a little bit of local pressure, but I think from for the most part, people are going to be looking at him saying you're a fool, which is less pressure to sit into the batter's box and say I've got to perform at a four hundred million dollar level. No, no, no. I don't have to do that anymore. I'm comfortable. I'm settling in. I can grow with this organization. And I don't have the spotlight on me that is the Harper, the the Trout, the Tatis Jr. You know what I mean? The Lindor last year. My God, look what that did. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And another point to these organizations who keep doing this, they're labeled as cheap and that that might be 100% true, but it still seems like the smart way to build whether That's you right. are or aren't cheap. If the Yankees were to build like this, it would still be smart, but 
now if you have 30 teams building like this then no one's getting paid etc cetera, et cetera. So there's i wouldn't have a job yeah exactly there's huge <laughs> implications to that so we won't go down that wormhole but i'm just saying smart is smart whether you have the money or not have the money in my opinion so it's good stuff also also last thing you know we talked ramirez we talked jimenez and acuna there there's a what's next they're playing for something there's, there's still another contract to come for them because of what they've done here. You know, we talked about the 150 for Franco that might be hanging out there at age 32. Acuna is going to be 30. He, he could be looking for another 300. Truly. So it, you're not like complacent in your career yet. These guys are part one that, and trying to build towards a part two still. Whereas a guy like Harper, uh, I think he's done. Contractually speaking, I think he's done. So there can be a little bit of complacency in, in that in terms of the marathon seasons and where you are because there's not a contract that you're playing for anymore. So I do believe in that quite a bit in terms of how you prepare yourself for every year in and out, but it's a heck of a deal. I'm glad it happened now. It's a good way to kind of finish off this 2021 season and get us into whatever 2022 is going to have for us. But um, anything else in terms of the free agents that sign that you want to bring up here quickly, Syndergaard, I haven't gotten your, your thoughts on Syndergaard or Matt's or Barrios or any of those here. Yeah, I I mean just to just to go quickly with it, I I, I like the Syndergaard. I like it as a one year gamble. Like I I know I hammer the Angels. We hammer the Angels collectively. I think if they keep adding some pitchers, they at least have an interesting team there. They they've spent all their draft picks this past season on on pitchers. The new GM there seems to be very cognizant that they need to build through pitching. They, you've already seen them at Aaron loop um, trying to probably bring back Iglesias. I, I think they understand where they need to go. So I think that's a, a good, a good first move there. Uh, the Syndergaard deal. I think it works for him. He probably just needed to get out of New York. Um, Matt's I like the landing spot in St. Louis. I, I think four years might have some risk with it, but I, um, as a whole, I like that. Yeah, there was a Burrios, bidding war. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It sounded it sounds like that. Um, Barrios, I think, is a nice fit. He he, at the end of the day, he might have gotten a little bit overpaid, but I think they they made a deadline trade. They gave up aspect, you know, um, assets to get him. They are still very much in a World Series window. I think it was a smart move, regardless of if it's an overpay or not. Um, yeah, I guess from the signings, like a broad, to paint a broad stroke over it, I, what, what's your opinion on this? Is it just CBA related that in, pa- in past years we've seen this, the tier two, tier three free agents wait until the top mm. end guys sign? And we've sort of seen that flipped on its head this year where the middle class, if you will, is signing and the premier, you know, the Confortos or I don't know if you want to label those guys premier, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Scherzer, those top, the, the people viewed as the top end free agents haven't went anywhere. So are those the guys waiting to see what happens with the CBA and this middle class is sort of grabbing the money while they can, or, you know, what's your, what's your view on that? I, I do believe that for the most part, and, and you can take the angels out of this conversation. I think Syndergaard was very, uh, tunnel had tunnel vision with that sounds like they were on him early he, he fell in love with the whole situation obviously the money was good for him in terms of coming off the injury so that one's a bit of an anomaly but if you look at everything else we've, we've discussed and, and the signings that have hit they're all contender base and to me that's what's happening is you want to have some recency bias when you're when you're doing your your due diligence you're negotiating 
And I think they're the good teams who are trying to stay good, regardless of what happens with the CBA bullshit, want to load up right now while they're still hot, while they're still a commodity. Because if there's a, a six-month lay- layoff here or an eight-month layoff, we're going to f- forget the run the Cardinals just went on. <laughs> you know, and just how damn good that team can be with a couple of more pieces, similar to Toronto. Toronto's trying to compete right now in a ridiculous division. The Yankees, to me, are on the outside looking in right now. I mean, I, th- I think Boston's going to make a couple of moves here in the next few weeks. Tampa Bay already has, and, and there's trades to come in Tampa. You know how that works in the offseason. I-, I think the good teams want to strike while they're hot with B or C or C free agents. And Dan, I actually don't don't agree. I think you're going to see Kershaw sign. I think you're going to see Gosman sign. I think there's there's, I think there's more to come with with the the upper tier free agents. I think Correa might sign before this thing gets down to it. I think there's a lot a lot of juice on the big players. They just haven't gotten there yet. I think there's some some negotiating back and forth with maybe two three teams, but both sides seem to be very very motivated to to get on a roster right now even if it means sacrificing a million or two either way, teams going up, players coming down. Um, I think they are worried about what could happen with this layoff. And like I said, contenders want to stay contenders, and they are right now. Will they be in March when we're trying to rush ourselves back into a season and there's 150 decent players still without a, without a team? I think agents don't want to deal with that. Certainly players don't want to deal with that. So just having the knowledge that I have a home to go home to is probably better than not right now. And I, and I do think we're going to see a big rush of players, even the big players, find a home in the next couple of weeks. And have you read this Kershaw stuff? No. It sounds like Texas. He wants to go home. Oh, really? I'm just not a proponent of Texas spending money right now, but uh, we'll see. Hey, I'm going to switch gears. You got five more minutes for me here? Yeah, let's go. All right, I want to talk Taysom Hill with you, Dan, because you do a, a ton of fa- fantasy work. I know you follow the league closely in the NFL. And this is a very, very strange situation. So I, I want to get your kind of intelligent thinking on from a roster construction, from a contract situation, obviously, which I can sort of break down in my own terms. Wh- who is Taysom Hill? I mean, he has no fantasy value to anybody, right? Um, it, that it's limited until he gets a more prominent role, but right. Which we've been waiting for, for three years. Right. Which, yeah. Yeah. I, the fact they keep giving him money and have again, restructured that contract makes me think that there Sean Payton has some further plan for him down the line or thinks he's going to develop into their starting quarterback. I'm not sure, but I mean, you're the contract guy. You don't need me to tell you that you don't pay a package quarterback that kind of money you know so i i don't know like from what i understand developmental wise he still has a lot i mean you can see it watching the tape he's dynamic on the ground but like throwing the ball he still has a lot of improvements to make so is he ever going to be a full-time quarterback i don't know the answer to that and if he's not a full-time quarterback then what what are you doing here you know so i i don't know he does have fantasy value in the right situation but that it, he's not there currently that that's for sure i mean if he were the starting quarterback then, but he, but he, he's not even right now he can't beat out trevor simeon right exactly and that's that's what i mean now if he's the starting starting quarterback 
whether he's good or not throwing the throwing the ball, if he's caught, if he's running the ball or controlling the ball on every play, then yes, he has inherent value. But beyond that, right now, I mean, you're, just, you're hoping that they end up near the goal line a couple times a game, and he's the one who gets the. So there's a ton of projection going into that if you're if you're relying on him as a fantasy asset. I think he's an interesting like deeply dart throw in like a dynasty, like a deep dynasty league. If you have roster spots or something like that um, from a, from a fantasy perspective, but I mean, I, I don't know how you get there right now. And, and, and I mean, do, are, do you see something on your end? Why the saints keep doing this that we're not seeing? I mean, I haven't read any like real intelligent perspectives on, I, I mean, was this latest restructure just to, to manipulate the, the finances? Yeah. <laughs> uh. Because I know, I mean, the in a short answer, year, yes, right? Dan, yes. Uh, but I'm, but I'm trying to make it something more than that. I, I, I want to, f- I want to be intelligent enough to say that he's an intangible, right? He's, he's valuable because of intangibles. But then I get to the point where he's an eleven million dollar per year player. He was this year. He's now going to be for the next two more years at twenty two and a half guaranteed. So what freaking special teamer is worth eleven million? Or what goal line fullback is worth eleven million? I'm looking at his numbers right now. He has twenty rushes. He has six. He has f- six targets reception wise. He's touched the ball twenty four times this year in 2021, and then he's got a couple of passing attempts. I think seven. Is that right? Uh, I mean, what are we doing here? Yeah, it's what are we doing here? And it's different if you do you have 15, 15 plays. You know a bunch of design plays each week and he touches the ball 10 times a game, but, but he's not even doing that right now. I mean, not even that I would advocate for paying him that kind of money in that situation, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on. It would have cost them 9 million in dead cap to get out of this thing next year. That's the void. Instead, they extend him a 22 and a half million guaranteed. So this guy's going to be something. I, I think the quarterback stuff is complete BS. If you're asking me that question out loud. I think that's all just, I mean, that's the, that's basically the iteration of we signed Taysom Hill to a $140 million contract. Remember that last year that people still think he's actually got a $140 million contract. No, it was 11 million. Okay. And it's about to expire. And now they've extended it two more years, but it would have been 9 million in dead cap to just to cut him off and let him and make him a free agent next year. They didn't do that. They're spreading the dead cap out. They're adding 22 and a half million. I imagine most of that is bonus. So there's more dead cap being hit to this thing. I I can't get myself around he's that valuable because that's pretty valuable right now. And I realize eleven million in a lot of instances isn't. You know, that's that's a that's a middle of the road average salary, but he's not a young kid anymore either. You know, generally he's thirty one years old, Dan. What thirty one year old fullback makes one million, let alone eleven? Yeah. That's where that's where I stop. Like great, he's a special teamer. He's a vet minimum contract then based on everybody else in the league. If I'm, if I'm players out there that do these kind of roles, I'm pissed off. Like <laughs> I'm going to major like, what the hell do I have that this guy has better? Do I need to make, a, you know, do I need to make a couple of goal line catches to, to up my, my price tag by 500%? I, I just don't understand because even if he's going to be a quarterback, are you just going to make him a quarterback that doesn't throw 224 passes so that the threshold doesn't hit? And he doesn't make the incentives. There's no way any of this hits the cap. The Saints would never do that. That's what this is all about. It's about flexibility on the cap. But 
I can't get around the fact that they could have just cut him off for $9 million at dead cap and, and not had to go this route and then found an actual quarterback and a vet minimum fullback and a vet minimum special teamers to fill in the blanks for markedly less than $22.5 million guaranteed. So I, I, I'm lost on this one, Dan. I, I generally think they're geniuses with how they manipulate their cap. They're going to have to show me some really good structure here to, to make me understand what the hell's going on because I'm lost. Yeah, it, it would be a different conversation if they were trying to lock him up to be like the bridge quarterback, like a like a like Jameis's uh, contract or like Tyrod's contract or Cam Newton in New England, something like that. Um, yeah, but what's the that, problem with everything you just said there? Well, it hasn't really worked. Jameis Winston <laughs> made five and a half million dollars this year as the bridge quarterback, right? right. And he was always going to be the QB one, always. And he maxed out at five and a half million. Cam's making four and a half million. The going rate is not eleven million for right. for that's, for that's a bridge fair. quarterback. It's not even close to eleven million. So even and if the, he is and the, the quarterback, path isn't even and the path isn't even there. It's not. It's not even like right. they're saying, okay, just get us to next year, or we're going to tank next year. We want you to be the quarterback, you right. know, and like have at it. it. The the path isn't even there. He's just being used as this. Like it'd be like if. You know, the Niners spent all these assets to trade up to get Trey Lance, and he was only ever a package quarterback. You know, I mean, not it's not a one for one, but it's a similar. Like, what, what's he do? What's what's Taysom Hill doing there? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't have a good answer. I, I'd love for the kid. I, I, you know, I love these kind of five tool guys in all sports. You know that more than anybody that that's kind of my thing. I just don't see that here, and I don't understand why they continually have to do this. This feels like they're manipulating the cap on a player that shouldn't be on the roster anymore. Truly. I, I just don't understand this one. So somebody out there who follows the Saints and maybe knows more about this, please crush me on Twitter with, with answers because financially speaking, this one's going to be a mystery to me. This seems like it could be a gigantic financial bust, a huge bust, even if he is the quarterback. I, I don't get it. So, all right. Thanks for talking that out with me. Have a good holiday, man. Thanks for this. All right. You too. Thanks. All right. She's at Kim Jones Sports on Twitter. You see her all over the television. It's been a long time, too. Kim Jones, thanks so much for joining the show. I'm happy to be here. How are you, Mike? I'm great. It's been a long time. Uh, we've uh, touched base a little bit with some information back and forth, and I just wanted to kind of dive into New York sports with you a little bit because it's sadly interesting, I think is the right way to put it right now. You know, I, I, I want to be following the Knicks. I want to be following the Mets and the Yankees more than I am. Um, the Giants are at the forefront of the conversation right now, unfortunately, and the Jets have been now for the wrong reasons the past few years. What is just your overall sense of where New York sports lives outside of, I guess, Brooklyn, which is still cranking? It's rough. It's <laughs> rough out there. I think that's my overall impression. I, you know, I can speak to certainly football the best over these last several years. I joined NFL Network um, in 2012. So... Um, March-ish or so of, of the 2012 year. I have yet to see any playoff games at MetLife Stadium because the Giants made the playoffs uh, in 2016, but they went on the road to the Packers. Um, and generally speaking, when you talk Jets and Giants, the inhabitants, of course, of MetLife Stadium, you're talking about their seasons ending for sure by Thanksgiving and too often uh, really in jeopardy by about Halloween. And that's the depressing part. And that's one of the reasons, you know, the Buffalo Bills and I <laughs> are very good friends at this <laughs> point because uh, I'm in Buffalo, Buffalo an awful lot because that's 
really the closest team here, you know, to, to where I am based in New Jersey that is competitive. And I also, frankly, see the Washington football team a fair amount as well, um, in part because of sometimes the opponents and that sort of thing. But but as someone who, who left baseball so that I wouldn't travel anymore, you know, there's still a good bit of travel just because the Jets and Giants don't keep me home as much. Wow, that's something. Really, it is. And look, obviously, we can speak to this ineptitude of the Giants right now because it's all everybody's talking about with the recent firing of Jason yeah. Garrett. Um, I think, and I guess I'll get you your opinion on this. Is this the beginning of the end for that Giants front office? Well, I don't think it's the beginning of the end of Joe Judge. Okay. Um, I, I, and I, I will stand, I will say this forever until I'm somehow proved wrong. I do not believe John Mara will ever fire Dave Gettleman. Ooh. Now, does that mean that Dave Gettleman's there you know, in perpetuity, no, it does not. And, and this should be it, um, by all accounts, you know, maybe with a year or two, too long, uh, of a stay, frankly, but I, you know, I believe it will be a very, um, I don't know, classy is not the right word, but I believe it will be a move where no one is embarrassed, where there is great gratitude for Dave and where the emphasis will be on Dave, um, you know, whether whether right or wrong, whether we can agree or disagree about this stuff, that the emphasis will be on the fact that Dave helped turn them around when they needed him to. Uh, again, uh, that turnaround has been very, very mild, if at all. But John Mayer is not going to fire Dave. Is he going to see the idea that they need to get someone else in, someone who, you know, Joe Judge, frankly, would rather work with? I can see all of that as possible. Absolutely all of that is possible. But the idea that we're going to someday hear like we did today about Jason Garrett, Jason Garrett's been fired, that Dave Gettleman's been fired, I find that incredibly hard to believe. That's fair. But I, I, I do think a change is imminent. I think it's, <laughs> you know, I I've, hope. I've you tried to poke so holes. At this point, at this point yeah. the, the, you know, the evidence your honor is overwhelming, <laughs> you know, at this point. Yeah. I, I, I've tried to figure this out, the Giants specifically, because the Jets – Look, they just don't have the quarterback. And when the league is so quarterback driven right now that, it, that if that's your one problem, that's all of your problems. So unfortunately, Correct. you know, it's, it's a pretty easy assessment for the Jets. And I'm still not sure they're there, though. I, I think they're trending in the right direction in a lot of in a lot of areas. But the Giants mm-hmm. don't seem to have that. Right. And, and that that is still problem right. number one. And that's on Gettleman's clock. And and quite a few of, of these misses and, and ins and outs have been on his watch. So I. I think you have to start there this off season, but that's not the only fix, right? Oh, no, no. <laughs> um, I, listen, I think when you look at Daniel Jones and I looked at him early and I was a little bit confounded because of what I would call, and I mean, it, not that it's some weird description, but you know, his pocket presence. And I remember the game a couple years ago now against the Cardinals in particular. And you know, Arizona might have had five sacks that day. I don't know. It was something like that. Um, I think it was Chandler Jones, and uh, it, it's hard to remember. But the point being, the, the defense really got after Daniel Jones. I, I think it was Patrick Peterson on a blitz that, that he never even imagined was coming. And, and I remember looking at it from the press box saying, I don't know if this guy has a feel for the pocket. And I don't know, you know, listen, you know, in training camp, quarterbacks come and go and you may or may not notice something about them, you know, and a lot of them are camp arms and who cares. But this guy was drafted to be a franchise quarterback. And I remember looking and saying, 
there just seems to be a deficiency there. And I'm not sure he's really cleaned any of that up. I'm not saying he hasn't cleaned it up a little bit or gotten a little bit better. He certainly has gotten better with the turnovers, but you can also argue he couldn't have been much worse. I mean, he was turning them over at such a, he was turning the ball over at such a rate that he almost couldn't continue doing that and hope to stay on the field. So has he cleaned some of that up? Yes. I just have a really hard time believing he's a guy that's going to eventually um, take you to a Super Bowl and, and win another title. And, and that is that is still the barometer at the Giants. They haven't met that in a long time. But that is still what that organization strives to do. I, I'm just not sure, you know, I see it at this point in Daniel Jones. No, and, and look, it hasn't all been bad with, with this decision-making. Right. Let me give them credit for something. Uh, because I do, I track the dollars. I track how the dollars come in and can go out. Mm-hmm. And you and I talk a lot during the off season, kind of annually, yep. because there's so much activity happening for the Giants. And I don't necessarily right. think that's a bad thing. They they kind of understand their mistakes, own them early internally, and try to correct them immediately. They are they are all about winning right now, this year specifically. You know, you know what I mean? It's not about four or five mm-hmm. years. And that's a different right. that's a different vibe for Gettleman. That's not how he was in Carolina. So there has been a change of heart, a change of pace, and and I do think that that approach is the right approach for modern sports, any any major sport right now. So I do give them credit, but look, it's it's just been wrong in so many directions. And and I'll single this I out specifically. Say, yeah. You know, I hope you don't mind if I make this a conversation. I respect you so much, and I, I like talking to you. Like, why do they get so much of it wrong? Then I understand yes. the philosophy sounds good, but it feels like in practice yes. they don't bat highly enough. So, so let me throw this at you. I just tweeted this because it came to, came to my head as I was preparing for for this discussion. Okay. What, what is it? What is the issue that's sticking out that's forcing them to be the way they are? And all I did is I looked at their first round picks, Kim, and it's been it's been twenty years of of just a mess. Some of the guys make it to the rookie contracts. Most haven't. Some have been extended yeah. and then traded like immediately after, or obviously Beckham Jr., a couple more. It's, right. they, they just can't, out of sight of Eli, they just can't get any of these first round picks, which is, mm. that's the Mecca to stick. I mean, even 2019, they had three. I'm not sure any of them are going to stick. It, it's, it, it, and I'm not saying that's the crudatata how you win a Super Bowl. That's but it's the easiest way to get immediate value and improve your roster right now versus mm-hmm. if you right. miss on those, you have to go spend millions of dollars in free agency to try to cover that up. And that's exactly what the right. Giants have been for five years. It's a great point. It, it is. They're having to cover mistakes with money and free agency. Um, you know, right now, and I like Leonard Williams, so none of this stuff has to do with liking or disliking, by the way. But I do like, I happen to like Leonard Williams a lot. He's a nice guy to talk to. Um, on the occasions we get to talk, when we're in locker rooms, we talk, you know, to players a lot. Right now, we talk to whoever they let mm. talk to us. But, um, you know, Leonard, they had to, you know, they, they, they trade made that trade. And then, you know, Dave, as is his want, Dave Gettleman kind of crowed about winning the trade. So then they absolutely had to pay him. I mean, that's the one thing about the Giants that I do think sometimes is different from some other organizations, including some I cover. Like there's sometimes that emotional pull or that, well, I can say I told you so on this one. So they go ahead and do it, you know, and and right now, honestly, frankly, would you would you say Leonard was worth that extension? Right now, you know, he didn't. First of all, last night he, against Tampa, he didn't do a whole lot in that game at all. But it, it it would be a tough sell. It would be a tough sell to pay Leonard that amount of money for a three win team. Yeah, in my opinion. And I think the same could be said about the Galladay contract, which was 
eye-opening the yeah. second it happened, you know what I mean? For the structure, for the guarantees, for the, the timing of it, it was a, that was a tough sell too. So th- there's some backtracking for sure. And that, and it's an annual yep. thing. So I, I do think the yep. giants have well, to step what, five though? steps you back. Know what, though, Mike? You just brought up something really interesting about Jason Garrett being fired yeah. because the Galladay contract, I could almost see giants ownership essentially saying, you know, you know, when this decision's coming down, like, well, what are we doing? We paid Kenny Galladay all this money and he has two targets in the big game last night on primetime. Uh, you know, so yeah. that's the kind of thing where, you know, the Giants don't have ownership that isn't in the building. They're in the building all the time, every day. It's their, it's their livelihood. It's their job. It's what they love. And I can see something like that with that contract in particular being sort of one of those, listen, we went out and got this guy and you're going to target him twice. I, I, that I can, that I could understand happening at the Giants. That makes sense, especially with all these injuries. I mean, why isn't he the guy right, right now? Why aren't they at least trying to force yep. the, the decision to him? It makes a ton of sense. Let's talk. Let's quickly right. talk Saquon. Um, okay. I, I've tried to love him. I'm, I'm, I'm a big Penn State follower. You know, obviously there's a there's a lot yep. to love there with the athleticism and and the ceiling yep. on this kid. But obviously he's just not going to be an 18 week guy. So, uh, is there any? inkling that the organization is going to keep him long-term or are they just going to run this thing to the end and then cut it off? John Mara said this off season at one point, uh, maybe over the, maybe in the winter after the season ended. And I believe I asked the question that Saquon's going to be a giant for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can understand that sentiment from ownership and yes, he's coming off an ACL plus because it was more than just the ACL, but you know, every expectation was he was going to get back, whether it was for the opener this season or not was up in the air uh, for a long time. But that in and of itself was probably going to be something he could come back from. And I, I do think when you watch him play, there were at least small signs um, included the Saints game, obviously being the, the biggest example and not a small example, a big example of him feeling good again. He was on, you know, they were inside, they were on sort of a faster track. He was, uh, you know, they used him spread wide left. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that there was that. And then that very, very oddly serious ankle injury happens when he's done with, I don't know, you've probably done it. I've done it like on a curb. I've done it just walking because once in a while I'm a klutz where you do turn that ankle and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, my, I need to have my foot amputated. And then like a day or two later, you're like, oh, it's a little tender, but it's fine. His ends up being the most serious ankle injury in the world, uh, you know, it seems. And I don't have any inside information on it. I don't know exactly what it was. But, you know, it took forever for him to get back. And he still looks he, he still looks to me like someone very much finding his way again. Yeah. Um, and it's a very long-winded way of, for me of saying I hate that he's been injured because he was a playmaker at Penn State. Like, so, like I got into a thing with someone in the media because he was comparing Jonathan Taylor to Saquon, oh, essentially no. saying, like, Jonathan Taylor t- does it the right way. Jonathan Taylor never ran a route at Wisconsin. No. So go do some homework. You know, Jonathan Taylor literally never ran a route at Wisconsin. Saquon returned kicks. I mean, Saquon is, is and was, at his best, a playmaker, period. Can he get back to that? I want to think so. Uh, the clock obviously is ticking on this season now. 
I love the Taylor point. I have to talk to it because uh, so many people have been reaching out with, you know, is this guy the next McCaffrey contract? Is this going to reset the market? You're so right, Kim. I, I threw him into our algorithm. He, he doesn't catch the ball at all, at all. And if you can't do that, how can you get paid top money in this in this league right now? He's going to be a $12 million right. Derrick Henry contract. That's it. Right. I, I agree with you. I do think, A, he's willing. You know, they have used him, you know, a little bit in the passing game. I will also say this. He is a lovely guy to talk to. Mm. I mean, just really, really acts like he is all the time in the world when, you know, PR is asking you to keep it as short as possible, you know, that kind of a guy. So he's going to always be to people who know him, I think, uh, and certainly his teams a really easy guy to root for. I just think we have to be careful acting as if they're all quote unquote cookie cutter (laughs) or they're all the same because they're not. Saquon had unique gifts coming into this league. The shame of it is, Lately, we haven't seen any of them. The, the only thing going for him, really going for him, and I do want to give him the benefit of the doubt because this is going to be a team with a brand new quarterback, I think, in a year and a half, maybe two. Mm-hmm. He's only 24. So there, he's going to get this fifth-year option next year to try to be healthy right. for 17 games and resurrect some right. of what we're talking about here. And then there's still a $10 million franchise tag sitting there in 2023 if they need it. So he has time to still get himself back and then at least afford himself a two-year guarantee after that. I, I, I do think there's time for yeah. an extension still. It's not, it's not set in stone that it's a no for me. Right. Saquon needs to finish the season clean in terms of injuries, which right now you have to kind of light a candle that that happened, yeah. and then go into an offseason that is much more like a conventional offseason where he can get back. No one, I mean, listen, we don't even have to address it, but no one works harder. And I mean that, like, I, like, I, I understand guys work really, really hard and some might work as hard because I'm not going to make him some unicorn, but he works about as hard as you can work and takes care of himself. I think as far as everything I know, and I've known him since 2017, really, really well. This means a lot to him. He grew up with not a whole lot. He's one of those stories that we hear many, many times in the leagues we cover. Um, it means a lot to him. And, you know, I, I truly will hope that, it, that it, again, like I said, finishing out this year in a clean off season of no rehabs and that kind of thing can kind of regenerate, regenerate, regenerate his career because you're right, Mike. I mean, he's young. He's really young. I think he's incredibly young. So um, there's that going for him as well. Youth. Switch the jets real quick. Um, just yeah. your sense. Obviously they're, they're sliding backwards. And, and at this point it seems like that's the right idea anyway. You know, they're not exactly a top five pick yet. They're getting there where do we even start with this team? Is there any question in your mind that Zach Wilson is going to be given the next two years to give this a go? I mean, I mean the Mike white stuff was fun for a minute and a half, but he is going right. to be the guy for the next couple of years at least. Right. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, that I wasn't mean, confident. <laughs> yes. Be, well, yes, because he has to be though. Yeah. Right. I mean, they picked him too overall. They've got to, they've got to invest that in him. I will tell you something that concerned me a little bit. When Mike White told the media, what's this now, two weeks ago or whatever it was, you know, he's walking into the locker room midweek, you know, going to his locker, obviously, and his teammates are chanting his name. Mm. This is during, this is it, this is in Florham Park. This isn't at MetLife Stadium, you know, after a game or something. This is at Florham Park, at the facility. This is happening. I've, in, in what, 20 years covering the NFL, I've never heard of anything like that. And I asked Robert Sala about it, and he said, well, they're trying to keep him humble. And with all due respect to Sala, that answer doesn't wash. No. Because they were having a lot of fun with a quarterback that they all like. 
and I, I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see Zach, um, you know, get back and get healthy. And that should really, really be any day now, given the way the injury was described to us. It should be very soon that he's back on the field and really establish himself, be able to get the ball to his playmakers. Elijah Moore has become one in the meantime, which is very, very good news for the Jets long-term. I love that kid during training camp. So, you know, but, you know, it would not surprise me if, if maybe, you know, Zach has a, a little work to do in terms of, I don't want to say winning over teammates. That's not fair. Cause if he wins, you win over people automatically anyway. But, but, you know, I think, you know, seeing Zach work and work very hard at his craft and then on Sundays have some success and not turn the ball over. I think he needs probably a couple of those outings and, and, you know, teammates love that stuff. And, and then if all of that happens, I think it'll work out just fine. And then obviously next year he would go in as the starter, no questions asked, and you build around him. I want to go off the road here a little bit. You've been doing this for a long yep. time with a lot of sports. And, yep. you know, I'm getting asked a lot of questions about college football and, and specifically the coaching and, and how that's changed and the whole business of that and now how it translates to professional sports now as well. Are we giving regimes, and I realize that's a that's an antiquated word, but are we giving regimes a legitimate chance to succeed in any sport right now? I mean, I'm thinking about this Jets no. team. You know, you're talking about the Jets and and, and Douglas and Salah. And I mean, what do they have? Two years? I mean, do they have, mm-hmm. does, do, do the, the Wilson, Douglas and Salah have, th- you know, through 2023 a, as a hard deadline to at least get this thing going in the right direction? Is that, le- yeah. is that fair? I, I mean, with social no. media, with, with the media coverage yourself, obviously, the pressure is just everywhere. It's amplified to a, a maximum degree. Does it take a few years still, or is the expectation that this has to change next year immediately, is that is that reasonable right now? No, but I think that that's reality. Yeah. And I do think in the NFL, they understand, like most people understand that, I think. I at least think most people understand that. Like, Joe Judge fired a line coach last year and fired Jason Garrett now. I mean, does, does he get to fire, you know, four more coaches? I, I don't know that. I don't know what would happen in that respect. I do think that it's interesting. Joe Douglas with that six year contract now looks like a genius, right? Because he was going to coach, you know, or excuse me, be the GM for a short period of relatively short period of time with Adam Gase. Um, whose numbers, by the way, don't look completely atrocious giving, you know, where the jets really are, but that's a whole different argument and it's a whole different uh, personality, but you know, you bring in Robert Sala. So you have re- renewed hope, which gives Joe Douglas sort of a part two already in his contract. Right. So you have to believe Sala and Douglas are probably are tied now and probably will get the duration of that contract. For one thing, I don't know if the jets want to keep, you know, um, paying coaches. I think they're still paying Todd Bowles, oh, let alone Adam Gase. And Mike McCagnan, I think. So, you know, that's another thing about these teams. Once you start, you know, I'm going to fire this guy, that guy, and three more guys, you know, those contracts are still valid and, and owners are still writing those checks. Um, so, so that's another thing to keep in mind when you talk about is a guy going to stay or go and how many years does he have left on his deal. But, you know, I, I think for the Jets, they'll have um, – it would not surprise me if they have surely to the end of the – 23 season as you noted and at that point they will know about Zach 
and they will certainly know if, um, you know, the Douglas Sala partnership is going to become something, you know, bigger. And if that's the case, then the Jets are probably, well, are absolutely very much on a right, highward, upward track and, and good for them. That's the best case scenario. And, and it, could it happen? It could. It absolutely could happen. I'll get you out of here on this. Let's switch to baseball. Real surfacey okay. stuff. <laughs> um, speaking yeah. of regimes and consistency and and longevity, Brian Cashman, I think he's done a lot of great things. I really do. I know he takes mm-hmm. a lot of heat, and I'm sure he takes a ton of heat around your neck of the woods, but yep. he has changed as in his process, in the way he speaks to the media, in the way he addresses the style of baseball that he wants to play. He has changed. Do you believe, and I, and I realize that this is sort of outsider stuff for you. Do you do you do you believe that it's his doing, or that the ownership now, the newer ownership now, is pressing down on him in a way that wasn't the case 10, 12 years ago? Mm, I believe I believe Brian has has a big say in everything okay. at the at the Yankees. I, I don't have any reason to believe otherwise. Um, I, I think that he has bought in and the Yankees have bought into analytics. Yeah. Once you even say that word, people on Twitter lose their mind, you know, for and against. So you're safe here. I learned it's, that it's a safe word here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when I mused in the middle of the summer, you know, have the Yankees, you know, essentially gone more toward analytics and forgot like who they are and got a gazillion people you know, negative comments, but you know who did not have one? Francisco Cervelli, who I don't keep in touch with, but I liked him a lot um, as a player. We always got along great. Francisco Cervelli answered me on Twitter and said, yes, they have gotten away with the way they used to do things. And that made me feel good because he, you know, a player is going to know, or at least he's going to know better than I do. So, you know, I do look at the way the Yankees do things and it seems weird sometimes. Um, but I also think that they are going by numbers. I mean, you know, you've probably heard this. I've heard people say, or I've had people say to me, well, Aaron Boone never makes a decision. It's all analytics. Mm. Then you hear Aaron Boone asked, you know, about all of that. And he says, no, no, I make decisions, you know, that kind of thing. There's probably like a happy medium there, but I do think more than ever, um, the whole heartbeat of the game thing, which, you know, Joe Torre famously said way back is probably less important now in baseball than ever. And I would consider that to be a shame, but that's just because of that's how I am. You know, I'm not someone who's going to just, you know, do a lot of numbers and say, this is how I'm going to watch a baseball game. I watch a baseball game usually because I like the pitching matchup or I like the team, or frankly, I don't have anything else to do in the summer. (laughs) Have the numbers gone too far though? Even in your direct coverage? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think so a little bit. I use numbers in football about as seldom as I can. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, you, listen, well, first of all, you're going to talk about a team's record sometimes, so take that out of it. That's not what we're talking about, though. But in terms of, like, stats and everything, I think football, as much as anything, even the casual fan can watch a football game and perceive who did something right and wrong. Now, we're not always going to be right, even those of us who do it for a living. Um, I recently had a coach um, show me a play where the left tackle got beat for a sack and it wasn't the left tackle's fault at all, which I saw after the play was rerun for me. 
you know, I, I hadn't blamed anyone. It wasn't one thing, you know, something where I had to like rectify something I had said that that wasn't the case. It was just someone helping me out with something and showed me the play. And I said, wow, you know, if I had to blame someone, it would have been the left tackle and it wasn't his fault at all. So, you know, I, I do think with, with all of the numbers that we process, you know, us civilians, I, I don't know how often we're right. You're, I'm sure you are right. An awful lot of the time, I'm equally sure I am right very seldom when I wage into the number thing. It is a fail safe almost. You can, you can get to any conclusion you want with numbers. That's what I've figured out in my 15 years of doing this, Kim. Yeah, versus what, no, and you admit it, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, of course, versus what you just explained, that story, that, you know, that's a reality. That, that, that's a, that's mm-hmm. the actuality of what happened on the field. And I do think that's the disconnect right now. And I think that's what the next five years of sports has to be, is how do we marry these two conversations to make the sport the best viewing possibility and playing possibility. And uh, that's going to be fascinating. We'll see how it goes. Thanks so much for your time, Kim. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Mike, take any time, anytime I've asked you a million questions over the years, anytime I can be helpful, let me know. Let's do it again. Thank you. Please follow her at Kim Jones sports on Twitter and watch her on the NFL network every single weekend. All right. My thanks to Kim Jones and cousin Dan. And of course the athletic follow the athletic at, theathletic.com slash spot track. And by the way, Black Friday sales right now. Visit theathletic.com. I believe the deal is $1 per month for the entire year. So you're going to want to hit the athletic up this week specifically and get yourself there because we are hosting many of these articles on spottrack.com. So when you're looking at your favorite team on spot track, you'll see the latest news from the athletic right there in your sidebar. Click on that. It costs you a buck a month right now. Can't really beat that at all. Also, financial solutions, the proper repayment plans, borrow money wisely at balancedbridge.com. Have a great Thanksgiving, everybody. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.